This is the 19th season of Bass Talk Live. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Striking Lures, Aftco, Pro Guide Batteries, X Zone Lures, Shoreline Boat and RV Repair, Spro, Gamakatsu, Big Bite Baits, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Beatdown Outdoors, and Sunline. BTL, coming at you. Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. It's a Tuesday. It is Bass Fishing Hall of Fame induction ceremony week. Three anglers going into the Hall of Fame on Thursday night. We're also continuing our series this week, talking with 2024 Bassmaster Classic qualifier and 23 Open EQ angler Ben Milliken. We had back-to-back open weeks. It was the first time in my five years that I guess fishing at the AAA level that I had had back-to-back tournament weeks. And I have a new respect for the Elite Series and uh, MLF guys who have to go back to back. It's uh, we'll, we'll talk about that with Ben. Let's uh, let's bring Ben in for this morning. Ben, thank you for jumping on BTL. I know it's been a uh, at least for me, it's been a hectic two weeks, and I'm sure for you, it's been a hectic two weeks as well. It has, man. I uh, started off the trip up north too for about a week or nine days or something. So uh, got back last night for the first time in. I think like 29 30 days back to texas so feels good to be back yeah i did a uh i did a 30-day rotor in july and that first week and the last week are always tough and then you kind of get used to the road in the middle yeah definitely it goes by really quick once you get going on the grind this the two tournaments seem to go by super fast it was just you know getting around and every time you go to that dang gas pump it uh, gets old real quick it is uh now you traveled around a lot uh, for your YouTube channel and for what you did for a living for a year. But is this the first time you've really traveled around this much, you know, for tournaments, I guess? Yeah, definitely. And and generally when I shoot my YouTube content, I like to switch things up. I don't generally go anywhere for a long period of time. So, I mean, a lot of my trips were two, three, four days. So going out of town for two weeks, 28 days, whatever at a time is definitely a different type of grind. Especially with young kids and i mean you still have to do the youtube content you got people all right yeah it's a it's a uh, it's a full-time job that you don't get paid for <laughs> 100%. i mean you, you do so many different full-time jobs out there i'm lucky my wife uh definitely is the uh the champion there over the last month watching the kids and the dogs and and everything else but yeah man it's been a circus and you just kind of go day by day what have been her uh what have been her thoughts about this whole year because obviously she's been along, along for the ride for the youtube but the i mean this is her first kind of dive into the quote-unquote professional tournament seed and i know she's traveled with you a lot with the yeah with the kids so what are her thoughts yeah. on it she i think she enjoys it she supports yeah. whatever i want to do with my life of course um she kind of would have to at this point um but uh i mean there's growing pains of course i don't think that's something that a lot of these elite guys and and, and top level tournament guys talk about you know taking their family on the road out of town sleeping in strange places um the relationship duties that uh, parenting duties that uh, are expected and you know the mental focus that we have to have as anglers to be remotely competitive or even show up and catch fish at these crazy fisheries 
uh, is hard to even fathom unless you're on the road and you have to spend so much of your time as a fisherman out there. And it's hard to balance, you know, when you get off the water, it's not like you flip the switch off and you go be dad and a husband. I mean, you have to go work on tackle. Um, you have to figure out what the hell you're doing the next day, where you're going to launch, where you're going to fish, what baits you're going to throw, what tackle you need to put in and out of your boat. So yeah, it's a, it's a never ending grind. We we've gotten better at it though. So that's good. It's interesting. I remember a couple of years ago, Polinick published an article. I think it was on Bassmaster, a blog post about how in order to be at the top of your game, there's a level, you have to be a level of selfish to achieve. But then at the same time, that kind of comes full circle because then you're providing for your family through it. And it's like this kind of weird dynamic of, of, uh, of, of balancing, uh, you know, obviously with him, with the young family as well, too. I thought it was a, a very interesting article. A lot of challenges uh, that I don't even think of as a guy who's not married and doesn't have any kids. I mean, I'm like, holy cow, we got to get off here because I got to start marinating the steaks for tonight. Uh, it, it's a uh, I take my hat off to you and all those who who juggle the family and on the water uh, responsibilities simultaneously. Yeah, it's been a lot, but it's good. I, I'd much rather have that than be gone from them for a month straight. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Well. All right, I want to get this. Uh, I want to get this right off the hopper because uh, you agreed to uh, do something really cool. Uh, if you've been listening to BTL, I did a Sunday night show with Frank, and then uh, yesterday's uh, show was with Gene Gilliland, 2021 Bass Fishing Hall of Fame inductee. Uh, for his work on the conservation side but every year the bass fishing hall of fame uh does a uh auction uh both at the event and then an online auction to raise money uh if you have any questions on where that goes you can listen to uh gene's interview yesterday we have a number of, there's a number of uh, of grants uh there's a number of scholarships it goes to uh working on the display in the wonders of wildlife for the bass fishing hall of fame long story short we try to get badass trips, and that's the best way to describe it because there's a lot of badass trips available, and you can bid on these trips through uh, September 28th, I believe, at 10 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, uh, you have been gracious enough to donate a day on the water with you uh, sometime between this winter and next spring. It's kind of up to be determined, and you have to get there. But thank you for doing that, and I got to admit – you are one of the highest bidding trips currently uh, with about two days left for bidding. So I uh, wanted to bring that up. And then have you thought, have you thought about like what it actually you're going to do with the winner of the trip? I'm going to kind of leave it up to them. Honestly, um, I, I'm assuming with, especially if we get a listener from, from you guys, if they're going to come down to Texas, they're going to want to go chase some, some 10 plus pound bass in the winter. So uh, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, there it is. Holy cow. It just jumped up again. The current bid is $2,050 uh, for, for a day on the lake. Now, you're also going to do a YouTube video uh, about yep. this with the winner. So you're going to get featured on uh, your YouTube channel. But uh, that's a, a, a great donation uh, and a great trip. So thank you for uh, for stepping up. And uh, you get to fish with the Bassmaster Classic qualifier. Has that sunk in yet that you're, I mean, you are in the Grand Classic? Like, I know you're bummed out. We'll get into that about what's been going on on the water recently uh, and, and the chance that you have to still make the Elite Series. But, dude, you've got the Bassmaster Classic coming up in less than six months. Yeah, it's coming up a lot quicker. Uh, it's it's sunk in a little bit, but I'm still just like focused on finishing this year out strong. Um, we'll kind of talk more about that. But I think once the 
the last open's done and we kind of make plans for next year, figure out what we're going to do. Um, hopefully that's figured out pretty easy for us, but um, then, then we'll really start focusing on March. If you want to bid on that, I'll add it. It's just go to bassfishinghof.com. Click on the main photo there. It pulls up all of the great things. I mean, there's a Sasquatch hunt with Greg Hackney. We had Hackney on to talk about that. He believes he got a baby on camera. Uh, and that you'll have a good shot at taking down a bull Sasquatch is what he called it. It includes a night vision hunt for hogs. I uh, might uh, I might bid on that one, I think. Oh, dude, you 100% should bid on it. It's only at like $800 right now, Ben. All right, I might have to do that. That would be legendary if you and the hack attack went on a Sasquatch hunt. But if you go uh, to the, it's uh, on the third page there, you can scroll down. Uh, fish with uh, Ben Milliken. There it is right there. And then also, uh, oh, that, that jumped up a little. There's the BTL experience uh, that you can also bid on, BassFishingHOF.com. And that includes a uh, $250 travel voucher. So whether you're driving or flying or whatever, I'll give you a card with 250 bucks on it, a prize pack from uh, BTL sponsors, Denali, AFCO, Sunline, and Big Bite. And then you get to co-host a day of Bass Talk Live, try to get a big name guest on, uh, right across from me, and then we're going to go try to jack some three-pound crappie. And then I will also clean, vacuum pack, and send you home with said crappie, as long as they are under two pounds. Anything two pounds or above gets released. So there's also that. And then one more before we move on, uh, a one-of-one one Frank Scalish drawing that he showed on btl it's autographed it says 101 on it it's like a doc drawing you can see it right there uh, and that's only 150 bucks that's an eight and a half by 11 great addition to anyone's man cave and all 100 i'm gonna bid on perfect oh dude have you been through this yet no i haven't been through any of it that's awesome look there's some really like there's a bunch of stuff that i want to add to the uh to the btl studio uh like for 150 bucks current bid, a Rojas autographed jersey and two signed frogs. That's some history right there. All sorts I, of different. I saw an, another one. Um, maybe I could go learn how to throw a jerk bait from Randy Blockett. That oh, that would be legendary. <laughs> that would be legendary. Uh, yeah. I think that one's at, at 300 bucks. All sorts of autograph stuff. Uh, uh, private lake bass fishing with bpt pro mark rose that would be really cool i've gotten to spend some time in the boat with him during a media day and he is uh he's a really good teacher uh when it comes to things uh fishing trip with hall of famer tommy biffle 50 percent chance you get cut i like uh, that all sorts of stuff a fishing trip on gunnersville with Salzman, uh, I don't know if you know what uh, Ryan Salzman does on the TVAs, especially around this time of the year with the big swim baits below the tail races. He mm -hmm. is, he is. I mean, I'd put him top five on the TVAs when that bite is on, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, for sure. Plus a fun guy. We're only on. The, I'm on a bid on the KVD autograph banner. I think that would look really good in the in the studio. That's a lot of good stuff on there, man. I I need to go through that. Yep. Uh, fishing trip with Brandon. You're you're ahead of Brandon Polinick for the fishing Good. trip with Brandon Polinick. Uh, we'll talk some trash. Here, let's do the trips. Let's just look at the trips. Skeet Reese, Matt Becker, Ron Nelson, Mark Rose, Jeremy Lloyd. Dude, if you have listened to BTL with Jeremy Lloyd, he's become one of my favorite pros. That dude is hilarious. Yeah, he's a hammer too down those arcs. Uh, Paquette, Polinick. Oh, there was one on here that I am definitely going to bid on. It was like uh, four passes to the Hockey Hall of Fame and a behind stage tour in Toronto. And I got my 
passport now so i can head in i mean i think it was only at a, like a hundred bucks so i like that hey one one thing i'm getting questions on when do we have an official date and time of when this is going to end yes uh the 28th which is the day of the auction which is the day of the bass fishing hall of fame banquet at uh That's 10, Thursday. 10 p.m eastern time i believe Got is it. when it ends so 9 p.m central so you have through the 28th uh to bid on this there's the night vision sasquatch with hackney the triple include a hog hunt with night vision to acquire bait the more bait the better chance of getting close to the assumed mythical creatures of the night he will provide a guiding and his camp in southern mississippi for a night that is a guaranteed once in a lifetime experience dude that's a you gotta bid on that i will millican and hackney would be awesome don't be coming and sniping me either people uh, bassfishinghof.com uh, to bid on these items, and then you can click on it and see the bid. So I definitely wanted to uh, wanted to get that in. One more thing I wanted to, to uh, give a shout-out before we get into today's show. Uh, when I had Zaldane on a couple uh, last month, I don't know how long it was. It had to have been last month because we were on the road, and the days just fly by on the road. He, uh, uh, we talked. I talked about how I buy Black Rifle Coffee at Walmart, strictly because of their support of the bass fishing i don't know how it got hooked up but i there was a package waiting for me when i returned home it had i got 96 k cups of black rifle coffee assorted and then a badass uh it's got like the ak-47 with the rooster and the black i'm a little nervous to use it around the computer but big shout out to black rifle uh coffee company and chris and trait for hooking me up with that that was a Something cool to come home to after a sucky two weeks. All right, you want to get into it, Ben? Let's do it, man. All right, let's start out at Watts Bar. Uh, kind of set the stage going into this uh, into this swing of two opens. It was opens number uh, seven and eight. You went into it with a fifth, a first, a 62nd, a 64th, a 22nd, and then a 93rd at the St. Lawrence River. But this was a very pivotal swing in the year. Talk about your mentality and what your thoughts were going into Watts Bar. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have any big picture thoughts. I just kind of wanted to get down there and see how it was going and how it was fishing and then kind of see how that carried into the Ozarks, I guess. But um, I figured out quick in practice, like I actually had a good day one in practice, caught probably 13, 14 pounds, kind of four and a three and some two, some high twos. And I was like, all right, well, this isn't, uh, this is difficult, but it's not the absolute worst place. And then, I mean, the subsequent days of practice realized extremely quickly how difficult it was going to be to put together a limit and even more than eight or nine pounds because the fish weren't, not only were they not 15 inches, which is a pretty long length limit for their, uh, 18 for smallies. I would like to throw that in before we talk about some of the debacles that happened on the water. Um, but they were extremely skinny. I mean, you could catch 15 inch fish that weighed 1.2, 1.3 pounds. So mm -hmm. uh, looking at the weights and when you talk about the gap between catching seven pounds for a limit and nine pounds for a limit, huge, huge difference. And the, uh, the caliber of fish kind of similar to catching three pounders instead of two pounders at most places. Um, so I guess kind of that that was what I figured out in practice, but as practice went on, I found four or five creeks where I felt in, in areas where I felt like I could catch keepers. Um, 
had no problem catching 15, 16 inch fish. And that's what I was going to do for the tournament. Um, the spot in the area was where I found the best quality fish was that Tom Fuller area because it was a release fish area. There was an 80 boat, 80 some boat tournament there just before the tournament um, or before practice, actually during practice, I think the first day of practice. And that was actually the day I caught them. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, we got the stocking program going even better when we, when the tournament kicks off mm -hmm. and I caught a four pounder and a three pounder in there. And I was able to kind of differentiate on, on live scope, the, what the bass looked like from the catfish. Cause there was schools and schools of catfish and carp and gar, mostly catfish though, that were ambushing the shad that were back there and everywhere else a lot like the largemouth do. Um, of course the catfish were super fat and healthy. Um, but the, the bass, not so much, but, um, I felt good about it. Um, I mean, I, I probably burned more gas in practice there than anywhere besides St. Lawrence river driving all over the place, trying to find mm -hmm. something. But like I said, I landed on four or five groups and areas of fish where if I got even close to them later in practice, if I got halfway to them and started catching some fish, they were keepers left the areas, left them alone. I was like, this is where the better quality ones, even if I can only catch 15 or 16 inch fish, this is where they're at with a chance to catch a four pounder and, and come in with 10, 11 pounds. I was curious on how you would attack this because Watts bar is a very, I, I use the term dynamic fishery loosely, but it has, it ha you can go 30 miles, like four different ways up that thing yep. and you can fish dams and you can target small there's a bunch of different things that you can do but based on what you've done on the first part of the year uh particularly at, at eufaula and your affinity for big baits offshore ledge fishing and schooling fish i was wondering if you would spend a lot of time offshore on those ledges trying to 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 dial in a big fish current bite with a big worm a swim bait that type of thing did you work at that on that at all during practice yeah, I, I did it, and I never could get in a rhythm to where I felt like I was throwing at bass or catching bass when I would find those groups. There was whites everywhere. There, you pull up. The, that was the weirdest place where you pull up to a brush pile offshore, and you could hardly even tell it was a brush pile. It was like dots of fish, the entire everything, and it wasn't crappie like you usually see like that. There was some crappie, but it would be carp and catfish. And I'm, I know some bass too. People caught bass mm -hmm. in offshore brush, obviously, but um, I just could never get in a good rhythm, find a good area that really led me to get down that right path of finding the, the, the groups of offshore fish. So in past tournaments, you've gone in with, hey, I'm swinging for this thing. I'm, I've got a shot to win. It seems like this was one where you kind of put your work hat on and you went out and you knew this was going to be a grinded out 10 pounds a day, survive an advanced deal. Yeah, it was uh, it was like that, but I've done that several times this year. Um, Bugs Island and mm -hmm. Eufaula in Oklahoma were the two times where I'm just like, I'm going to get as many bites as I can, and we'll see if they're two pounds or four pounds or 12 inches. I don't know what they're going to be, but I need to catch and go through as many fish as possible to, to make it happen, and I'm going to try to put myself in areas where I think or know that there's 15-inch plus fish. Uh, before we get into what went down in the tournament, Anthony, with a very good question, can you explain the difference of of uh, differentiating catfish versus bass based on what you're seeing on the uh, on the graph? Yeah, so I mean, it's hard to really explain without showing a visual, but the cat, the way they were acting, I guess, was part of it. But the catfish also showed up a little more fuzzy, and they were in bigger groups generally. So if you if you saw like 
10 or 15 or 76 blobs just blowing bait in 10 feet of water and on the bottom mostly or even arching up into them that was almost always catfish okay um, but if you saw two real hard dots or one fish that was high in the column swimming really fast and you got that tail separation generally that was a bass um that's about the best i can do because as the tournament went on later in the days the the bait ball fish that i ended up targeting um I could catch them on bait balls, but generally I was catching random lost bass. I don't know what the really? hell they were doing swimming four feet below the surface and 30 feet of water. And those were usually the bass. But later in the days, the catfish started doing that. One individual catfish swimming three feet below the surface in 20 to 40 feet of water between bait balls. And you throw your, your cricket in there and come up and get it. And I caught probably 15, 20 catfish a day doing that. Uh We'll talk about how the tournament went, but then I want to get into this bait ball stuff because this was the first time that I – and I figured this out during the tournament. There's a reason why I weighed in a limit both days was I figured out the bait ball thing going from uh, – oh, there goes Ben. Going from – he's back. Going from one side of a creek to the other side of a creek. And I was like, that looks very interesting. Uh, and what ended up happening was I had a drop shot and I was fishing uh, docks and top water. And when I went across the back of a creek, I saw a bait ball, like an actual bait ball on my forward facing sonar. And I noticed a couple dots below the bait ball. So I picked up the drop shot with a four and a half inch uh, pink worm, the same worm that I always use. And uh, I pitched it through the bait ball. And as I pitched it through the bait ball, it kind of the bait kind of separated. And I realized there were bass that were in that bait ball and they followed it down. And it went don't. And I probably caught in the last three hours of the first day, I probably caught 30 between 14 and 14 and seven eighths inches. And I was like, man, if those fish are in there, there have to be keepers because I had two at the time. And I stayed in the back of one creek on day one and literally chased three bait balls around repeatedly hundreds of times pitching a drop shot through it and the bass was almost to me seemed like stock trout where they had them in the back of this creek where they had a backboard where it got up to four or five foot there was a little bit of a basin and they would just swim through these bait balls and when you got it right you knew 100 percent you were going to get a bite and i ended up actually catching three keepers one on my very last cast doing it they were 15 to 17 inches and they weighed 1.4 pounds but that was the first time in a tournament I'd really not targeted individual fish, but was pulling fish out of a bait ball down to the bottom to eat a drop shot. Yeah, man, that was uh, very interesting. Um, and and it, it made it more difficult with the catfish and stuff, like I was saying. But mm -hmm. um, yeah. I found the same thing. Um, I had one creek where I had went back on day one and there was a school of like 100 bass in the back of it. And I kept seeing these little wolf packs of spotted bass um, way back in the creeks, too. Mm -hmm. Usually it helped if there was a bluff that led all the way back to the, the grass okay. edge and stuff like that. Um, and I was catching a lot of keeper spots in practice, and I don't think I caught one in the tournament. But, yeah, um, once again, 14 to 14 and three-quarter inch bass. Somehow they, they know to group up by size, it seems like. And all those are fat, too, it seemed. Of course. Every one of those weighs two pounds. And then the ones you catch are one four and 17 inches long. Um yeah, so that's what I did day one and day two. Um, it was really painful. Um, 
I didn't realize how big of a deal it would be, but I did jump off two keepers, like 16-inch fish day one, um, right by the boat, just a mental lapse, I guess, twitching my little minnow um, not to pull on them harder, but they were super jumping fish. Um, They all were out of their minds when they'd eat it, of course, and I guess that kind of comes with the territory. So, but, but I mean, looking back now with where I'm at in points, you know, 31 points back or something from my lead series berth and seeing what four pounds would have done, or even three pounds would have done it uh, Watts for me on that first day, probably would have moved me up 40 to 50 points. Um, that's really, really painful, but it's kind of what you, you take with it uh, in an event like that, I guess. Um, it doesn't take any more skill to catch a 15-inch fish than a 14-and-a-half-inch or 14-three-quarter-inch fish. It's kind of where the luck of fishing comes into play. Um, but, you know, Tower Williams wasn't catching 15-inch fish. So if I would have found something better, then I wouldn't have had to rely yeah. on that. I struggle between between that, between, well, it was luck on whether you had 17 inches or whether they were fat or skinny, but there was there was a bite for those legit two and a half to four pounders out there somewhere. And I mean, I never saw it. Did, did you see any of those 18 inch smallmouth in practice? And was that something that you thought might work into your game plan? No, not at all. But um, I will tell you, you know, if we want to go into day two. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, you had a big comeback on day two. Yeah, somewhat. I kind of got lucky. So I had, I'd been to a point um, way down by the dam, a big, long tapering point, and I'd seen some fish on it and they weren't acting like catfish or carp or drum even, um, but they wouldn't bite. So I went back day two after I had gone through my other spots and caught precisely zero keepers by like 9, 30, 10 in the morning. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go to the big fish spot because who knows what could happen. And I pull up and I catch a short, large mouth. And then I hook one and I'm fighting it, I'm fighting it. And I'm like, okay, it's a good one. Get it up, 17-inch smallmouth, Ugh, um, which I also caught a 17-inch smallmouth on day one. So that was helpful. <laughs> um, Got to be 18, so not a keeper. Be. You throw back a two and a quarter pounder. Correct. Um, but then I'm fishing around five minutes later and I hook something really big, jumps way out, big smallmouth. I get it in. It was like 21, 22 inches oh, wow. long, four and a half pounder. And I could see them. There was a bunch of them down there, a bunch of big ones. So I was like, damn, I could freaking crack them, catch 18, 19 pounds here. This is going to be amazing. And I never got another one to bite there. The bite window just shut immediately or something happened. I went back to them again later and they didn't bite either. So I was happy with that. Um, Went to another grass spot, drug a a worm through the grass, spinnerbait. I was catching on a spinnerbait over the grass too, which I hate throwing, but it was, they were eating it better than a chatterbait and a swim jig for me. So I was catching some on that, but I think I caught a keeper on that. And then went into the day, two 30, I roll into a Creek and I caught like five keepers on bait balls. And, um, that was my giant 10 and almost 11 pound yeah. limit right there. I mean, you look at the ones you jump off on day one, that would have put you right up in the cup. But I mean, if you don't land that one big small mouth, you're also 90 points back now because that was a 50 50 point fish right there for you which at this point in the year you're counting fish uh yeah that was an interesting tournament uh i was shocked at the end of it uh unless i'm really pissed off about a tournament i like to bounce around with all my buddies out there on how they caught them and things like that and i got on a really cool punching bite uh in the back of a creek around the around some one of the uh, thief neck island that's one of the coolest islands that were ever there's some cuts around there that had some grass in the back and in practice i rolled through had a horny toad on with no hook and had five keepers blow up on it in like 20 minutes 
And I was like, holy cow, this is the best thing I found. I go back in there on day one, never have a single bite. And there's a couple mats and I'm like, well, these fish can't, they're not going to leave here. This is the back of a creek. They've got to be somewhere in here. And it's that was weird, that kind of cheesy hydrilla milfoil mix. So I put on a three quarter ounce punch weight and I caught like 10, like, hmm. like that punching like braid seven, six, like don't, don't, don't with, but I only had one keeper out of it. I missed a couple. I wasn't completely, I was not expecting it. And then I caught the rest out of bait balls. I go back day two. I make like two casts with a top water. And I said, screw this. I said, I wonder if they're under those mats first thing. And I caught four keepers in the first half hour punching. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, it was the wildest thing. You would think that, I mean, it was low light. It was overcast that morning and it was just dong, dong, dong. As I went through, caught like seven or eight shorts and four keepers. It was the complete opposite of how I thought you should catch them punching because mm -hmm. I would go back in the afternoon every day and never get a bite when it was sunny. The sun was high. It was calm. That's when you should catch them punching, but they were under those dang mats early and cloudy. And then I went and did the bait ball thing in the afternoon. Yeah. What a random lake. It was really confusing for me, I think, because it maybe that lake might have the best habitat of anywhere I've ever been before um, with beautiful hydrilla, um milfoil patches you got mats you got current ledges brush piles docks bluffs natural rock you know islands that have beautiful isolated hydrilla patches mm -hmm. behind them on the main river just out of the current bait everywhere you know whites and, and yellow bass they could eat too uh, both species of shad just everything you could ask for and I could never really put my finger on anything besides I just need to go try to go fishing and catch as many as possible. Um, so I, I don't understand that place very well. Neither do uh, I. Obviously, you know, Tyler Williams and uh, JT and Trey and John Garrett aren't thinking it's a random, terrible fishery, but um, it's just not something that I ever figured out really. I heard I talked to guys who caught him doing all sorts of stuff, flipping yeah. lay downs, chatter baiting the backs of pockets, main lake, ledges, bait balls, top water, like everything kind of played there. It was a it was a real grinder. Uh, I didn't hate it. Uh, beautiful. Everyone was so nice there. Did you notice that? Like every single person in that neck of the woods would come out on the dock and talk to you. And they were super nice people in general. I thought one of the most accommodating fisheries that we've attended this year. Definitely very nice. Um, definitely, um, <laughs> maybe not a popular opinion to have with the, the folks at Bass, but very clearly a, 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 a venue that was chosen based on money uh, and about nothing else. It's not a good fishery and the ramp had no business holding a tournament. Um, I, I just thought it was that the city didn't have much in it. We're in Kingston. Um and I maybe I have bad feelings about that because we had to drive in the pitch black over to the ramp because you couldn't yeah. launch at the ramp. There was like no. five ramps they sent us to. And I crushed a channel buoy and, and two other guys destroyed their boats, giant holes in the front of their boat, crushing the same marker buoy out in the dark. So did but, you have to fish with that hole? Yeah. Okay. That was the video that you just posted. Yep. Yep. Uh, so did the other people. I mean, it's, I guess it's my fault, but it's yeah. un unmarked channel buoys. I don't know. I feel like we should probably have the tournament go out of a, a ramp that can support a, 
launching boats. But I hear you. I got lucky. I stayed at a uh, private residence. It was absolutely, and I had to drive over. But one of the things I've always done, because I did it one time, Ben, I did not go to where the ramp takeoff was during practice, and then I had to do it. I did it at Thousand Islands when we took out of Clayton, which was a nightmare. I had to drive five miles around those islands strictly on because it was pitch black because we took off at like 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. Strictly on GPS. And it, I was like, I'm never doing that again. So now I always have a trail from where I'm launching to where we launch for the tournament. And then I can just follow that. I like it. Uh, then we went. So, so I mean, you're obviously not thrilled. You had to come back. And then we go to uh, Lake of the Ozarks right after, which was last week's tournament. And. I feel like there were some similarities, at least in my opinion, with just how the fish were scattered, but a totally different fishery in a totally different part of the country. Ten hours away, you got to put Watts Bar behind you and go back and do it again. Yeah, much healthier fishery, but a lot of similarities with the fish being spread out. Catch them in 40 feet, catch them in less than a foot, all different types of baits. Um, I listened to your your episode with Charlie Hartley was really good, kind of the precursor to it saying that you could, you know, uh, two or three or four things could could really do it for you. But when in reality, I think looking at it now and seeing how it went, I think there was a lot of ways you could catch them, which is pretty yeah. indicative of a September tournament. Um, but really a, a place, it was the only place on the, the schedule that I had been to before. Um, I just never had fished there in, besides the winter and the spring. But uh, yeah, I, I love that place. The, the fish were extremely healthy. Um, caught some good fish in practice the first few days, tried to do the dock thing, the fish where I really wanted to fish the isolated docks, kind of the, the, the backs of pockets where the, the big ones like to get set up that time of year, weren't quite there yet, probably by now or in a week or so, the, the big ones will really start getting patterned back there. I'm sure people caught them great back there. I just never did. Um, couple of the practice days, first few, I could catch 15 to 20 keepers skipping good docks, stuff like that, but nothing over three pounds. It was really tough to get a three pound bite. I felt like, um, and I think looking at the weights, you're seeing that too. There was a, a lot of guys that weighed nine to 12, 13 pounds. Um, and so that a three pound bite was everything. And, um, I, I got on a good, br- some good brush piles down there in the glaze area. And then the, unfortunately um looking back on it now actually i went up the river one day i think the second day in practice and i felt like something was there that i was missing and for whatever reason went back the afternoon of the fourth day of practice just try to get a quality bite going fished around a whole cove that looked really good big release area that i know about um nothing and i get to the last dock and it's the one out towards the main river and the wind's blasting into it and so I throw a glide down the side of it. It was like one of the first times I've thrown it. And I didn't really want to throw a glide up there because the water was like eight to 12 inches of visibility. It was not clean. So I throw a bone glide down the side of it and get absolutely destroyed. Um, set the hook on it, comes up, jumps. It was like a four and a half pounder. I was like, all right, that's cool. So I throw back down the side of the dock because um, that one was way out towards the front of the dock. Throw it down and around right the end of my cast, a different fish crushes it and misses it. I was like, all right. So I throw down again and I'm reeling it in quick and like four, three to five pounders are right on the back of it. So, okay. So I go around the point out to the main lake and there's wind blasts into that dock and I throw down the side of that five pounder comes up, crushes it. So, okay. And so I start running that and within like a five mile stretch of the river, every single dock um, that had wind blowing on the side of it 
within, I don't know, two hours that I fished up there had a three plus pounder on it and probably 25, three to six pound bites I had in a couple hours there. Maybe not even that, maybe 90 minutes. Wow. And so I, uh, obviously I was very excited about that. Um, especially looking at the tournament, you know, that was the first day of practice that wasn't sunny, um, mm -hmm. almost slick calm. That was the first day we had some weather, um, we had some storms blow through that morning. It was low light conditions. And then the conditions for the tournament two days later and three days later, were looking exactly the same low light conditions, more wind than we had had. So I was pumped. Um, so I kind of put together the game plan of, uh, you know, and then I, I tried to run that too lower down the river, down by the launch area. Couldn't get touched on it. I was like, perfect. No one else is going to really dial this mm -hmm. in, which you actually saw um, Daisuke Akita, the guy who got, he got second, right? Maybe? Yeah, second or third, I think. He was up there with me and he was throwing a clash okay. on the same stuff. So apparently uh, he figured it out, um, but didn't see anyone else doing it. So I, I went down, tried it, had some fish down the glaze on brush and stuff. And I, Decided I was going to uh, start on those to try to get some keepers under my belt because it always is a, a little bit better feeling when you're throwing that big bait around to have some in the box. Um, and then uh, that was my game plan to head up the river after that. All right, we'll get into uh, how the tournament went down because it was very consistent for you. We're going to take our first break of the show uh, talking with Ben Milliken about the back-to-back -back open EQs that just took place on Watts Bar and Lake of the Ozarks. It is Tuesday, September 26, 2023. We will be back right after this. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96-inch wide-body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry-leading design coupled with tournament-winning performance. The Puma STS from BassCat. Feel the rush. Shoreline Boat and RV. Dock rash, storm damage, collision repair. That deep scratch or gouge from trying to access that secret creek. Shoreline Boat and RV can get your prize possession back in mint condition and looking good on the water, fast. All repairs are done in-house, so they're able to get your boat or RV back to brand new, quickly. All Shoreline's work comes with a rock-solid warranty. Find out more at ShorelineBoatAndRV.com. Kansas City, Austin, and Tulsa. I'm the kind of guy that never leaves a house without a pocket knife, and Gamagatsu's come out with the EDC series of knives. EDC stands for everyday carry, so whether you're on the water or off, you can always have it with you. The best thing about it to me is that assisted open feature. With this D2 blade, you've got it right here at your fingertips, so if you can't find your scissors, you need to cut a knot, you need to cut your braid, you've always got it. Make sure you check it out. Never leave home without your Gamagatsu EDC knife. Born in Japan, using technology, innovation, and precision, Sunline produces the widest selection of fishing lines at the most technologically advanced line factory in the world. Manufactured at the strictest tolerances to produce victories at the highest levels of tournament bass fishing. From household names like Christie, Swindle, and Cruz, to young guns like Cook, Logan, New, and Welcher, they all trust Sunline to take them to the top of the leaderboard. Choose the line that will give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Sunline. 
All right, welcome back to BTL. Uh, I just thought about it when I saw that Shoreline boat and RV commercial there. If you need a, I don't know, do you have a fiberglass place lined well, I was up? Trying yet? to sneak back into that tight place, and I uh, hit a buoy. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, if you don't, if you if you no, need a place, I, I might be able to hook you up with Shoreline Austin. I got a place. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. I'll just make it sure. I'm I'll hook it. you up there with the, with the <laughs> DTL sponsor. They do a uh, they do a great job. I've been down to that Austin facility uh, before, but when you jack stuff up, I know it's never never fun to try to get that figured out. No, and we all do. So that's a great sponsor to have on there. Definitely, it is. So uh, we kind of went through practice. It sounds like you had a pretty rock solid game plan. You had some water that was to yourself in an area of the lake that not many other guys were targeting the same. You had uh, brush pile fish, you had glide bait fish, and you were ready to go out and hammer them on day one of the uh, of the Lake of the Ozarks Open. Yeah, I was pumped. Um, started off day one going to that brush pile stuff, and, and the last day of practice, I went and checked it. I had one stretch where I shook off five keepers, or what I felt like was probably five keepers, and I go there and caught nothing um going through it i don't know if it was the lightning and stuff that went through the night before and then i went to another area that was kind of further towards the mouth of the glaze and i caught one small keeper and about 9 30 i was like all right i can't wait anymore i gotta run to this big fish i don't because i, I had only been up there and fished that in the afternoon i didn't know mm -hmm. if it was only an afternoon thing i didn't know if it was an all-day thing and those fish were out of their minds and ready to eat at sunrise whatever so i ran up there a little early nine o'clock or so I made the run, um, 40 miles up there, I think it was, and um, got there and it was pretty much dead sea up there. Nothing was happening quite yet. Threw the glide around all the juice stocks, um, more isolated ones, closer to the mouths of the pockets, closer to the main river channel. The ones with the big fish like to set up on all year long, um, nothing. So about noon, I started flipping around a little bit, flipped up two or three small keepers, um, and then I was like, all right, I'm just going to keep giving the glide a chance because I mean, it, it was something where you could feel it both days. You could feel that bite window open as you can a lot of times, um, with that big bait. And it's almost, it's extremely rare to have a big bait bite where it goes down the entire day, um, or even for more than a couple hours during a day. And a lot of times it's easy to pin that down to, you know, moonrise, moonset, sunrise, sunset, um, a change in weather conditions, but I couldn't pin it down on this one, but about, uh, 2 o'clock, I think about two o'clock, um, I started catching them again. So I caught a couple small keepers on it. Um, and then I caught like a three pound spot on it. Oh, wow. Um, which was awesome. And I kind of figured out, um, I had been chopping it pretty quick, working that bait really fast side to side and practice when I got on that bite. Cause for whatever reason, they were out of their damn minds for the time I was there, of course, um, in practice, but they wanted it really slow, like chop, chop, chop. And so, and for whatever reason that that's what they wanted. And these were fish that were, they were sitting in between those plastic dock floats. They weren't, they weren't, I mean, on poles, they weren't, um, uh, on the slip, um, crossbars, anything like that. You couldn't scope them, couldn't see them at all. I mean, you could see them when you pulled them out away from it to, they were chasing it. But it was pull up to a dock, make very precise casts as close as possible because I was fishing really stained water. They had to see it. You had to put it on them. Um, and they were just hiding between those dock floats, eating bait. So I caught the couple two-pounders, caught that three-pound spot. 
Um, and then I catch, I pull up to a random dock. I hadn't fished yet. Caught a four and a half pounder, um, put it in the box. I was like, boom, it's the slow chop. That's what they want. Cause I had caught four keepers in 15 minutes. And as what happens with big bait fishing so much, that window slammed shut on me. And that was it. Two more hours, nothing. Um, that was it. So blasted back, spent another half hour on that stretch of, of good brush piles that I started on, didn't get anything off those, and went and weighed in my four, three two-pounders, uh, three-pounder and a four and a quarter, four and a half, whatever that big one was for my t- almost, well, it was over 13, but I had a dead fish. So I got you. Uh, yeah, yep. weighed in 12, 13 on the first one. Quick question about that. Uh, I'm not a... I'm not a glide bait expert. I mean, I've got them. I feel comfortable throwing them in certain situations, but I'm also scared to refish docks that I've pulled fish out from. Like in my experience, what I've always done, and it hasn't always worked seldomly, but like if I can pull one, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to do it, but I want it to be the first shot that they see it. You said you went back and refished docks that you'd pulled fish from. Have you know, do you notice, is it sometimes harder to catch him after you've pulled a fish and he's followed it the day before or two days or three days before, and then you go back to that same dock? Do you think that fish is less likely to commit to that bait or is that kind of an old wives tale? Really every fish is different. I know that's okay. not helpful at all, but um, one thing I'll do is if I pull a fish like earlier in a day or the day before, I'll go back and hit it at a different angle. So if I'm casting okay. to the, from the, if I'm out from the dock and I'm casting to the back corner and working it down the side, I'll veer into that dock cable and I'll throw it out to the main lake and I'll work it down that way or I'll throw it in, like skip it up under a float best I can and just slow chop it right where that fish bit or whatever. Okay, so that's key. So you're giving it a different look so it's not the exact same thing where that fish is like, you think Do you think when you give the exact same thing multiple times, they are less likely to come up and and eat it when it's game day? Yeah, they um, they get smart really quick. These fish get conditioned so fast, I think faster than ever now with the fishing pressure and forward facing sonar, even with something where you're not using it, they, they just get conditioned way quicker. And then, uh, do you think the same fish live on the same docks? Like, do you think those fish that you didn't pull in the tournament, but did in the practice were still there or in, I know this is a case by case, but this is, I'm trying to figure out in my mind. And I know a lot of the listeners probably are too, when they want to go back for their tournament. Like, do you think like that's, that school of four pounders lived on that dock and they're there and they're going to be there. It's just you getting them. Or do you think they might be on the channel behind you or three docks down or in the cove behind it? Or is that their freaking home? I think uh, it depends on where you're at in the country. I do know with those Ozark lakes, especially that one and some of the cleaner water ones like Table Rock and Bull Shoals, I know that you can get a change in conditions and those fish can go from 40 feet to the damn bank um, in five minutes and pull up and start feeding. So just my knowledge of that, I feel like that those fish are constantly moving. But I also feel like the same types of docks I was fishing, the, the first dock leading into a creek, the docks that are by the channel swings um, on the mouth of a cut on a bluff, those are places a fish will live all year long. does not matter what time of the year. You don't need to listen to the, to the, the banter about how the shad migration, you need to go to the back of the creeks and all that. Those fish can sit there, especially at a lake like Lake the Ozarks. It's loaded with bait and pretty much sit in between them dock floats and have mm-hmm. their mouth open and wait for those shad to swim in their mouth year round if they want to. So, I mean, I guess they can, I, I feel like they're constantly moving. Um, I think if the same fish that I caught were still on those docks, they would have at least followed or bumped it. Um, and they didn't. 
So I, I, I'm at a loss. I don't know where they went. Mm -hmm. They, uh, some of them were still there, I'm sure, but I caught fish on different docks every single day. You've mentioned a couple of things that I find very interesting. Uh, you ended up finishing, we'll get into day two, 45th in this event. I finished uh, 60th. We had like a pound difference, but I had uh, 10 and a half pounds on day one. And I forced the back sides of the docks exclusively with a jig all day, 100%, just rammed it down their throats, caught a dozen of them uh, and only had 10 pounds. So there's a couple things that really stick out that you mentioned that I figured out on day two when I had uh, 13 and a half pounds. One, I had a four and a half pounder on a windy dock going off of the main lake, the first dock going into a cove. It was by far my biggest fish. I realized that I then caught a three pounder running brand new docks, exact same scenario that you described where those fish were sitting. Two, I realized you can't scope those fish that are immediately below the floats. And I had this in practice, too, where you'd pitch up and you'd pitch to the front of a dock with a jig or brush hog or whatever you were throwing. And you'd be like, oh, there's one. And then you'd look down, and you'd see it on the scope swimming with it. And you're like, dang, that looks like a pretty good fish and shake it off. And you're trying to figure out where it came from. They were so tight to those floats that I realized that on the second day. And I had, I had three over three on the second day. And I had a three and a half pounder that I pitched up to the front of a float that I looked completely barren on, on scope. It went down four foot. It just got heavy. And I slack lined a three and a half into the boat. So it's interesting, completely different part of the lake, completely different practice, but the fish were actually kind of acting the same 100%. and positioned the yep. same. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's something probably has a lot to do with uh, those fish seeing so much forward facing sonar the last three or four years. I mean, those are the type of fish that aren't getting targeted specifically and pressured specifically that are in between there. All right. Day two, you go out. I mean, this is kind of a make or break day for you, Ben. Like, I mean, you, you come in with two or three fish on day two, it's done. You come in with a 20 pound bag. You're right back in it. Yep, definitely. That's kind of my thoughts too. I was like, well, I'm going to have to go catch 20 pounds. I need five of those four pounders. Um, I did the same thing. So I had a long day, day one, fish till six o'clock almost. I was one of the last boats out. Day two, had a, had a, not a co-angler with me and I had a early boat. So I had a shorter day, 2.30 had to be in or three, I think it was. Um, so I started on some of the, the keeper stuff and the brush piles. I was able to catch two small keepers but rolled out of there and I, and that was, you know, just from knowing as, as much as I wanted to be up the river, it was dead to start the day. And I really saw the same thing watching live with, with, uh, with Daisuke being up there. He, uh, he didn't have anything in the, the well until late, late in the day. Uh, he got two back to back five pounders up there. Um, but yeah, there, it was dead up there until the sun got on it or, or whatever that it just got brighter. So I went up there about nine 30, 10 o'clock. And, um, same exact thing. Um, wheels start turning my head, not catching anything, decided to go flip for a while. Um, of course the first stock I pulled up to, I guess when I get there, I catch a 14 inch, um, non-keeper on a glide. And I was like, okay, it's on fire today. Mm -hmm. Low light winds blowing harder. This is going to be good. Fish did that for another hour. Nothing. So I go flip, um, didn't catch anything flipping this time. And it, it was probably about noon. And finally, I started getting some feedback from the fish, caught a 15-inch keeper, caught a two-and-a-half-pound keeper, caught another two-pounder. And then um, about one o'clock, I pull up and catch another four-and-a-half-pounder um, on the back of a dock. Same exact thing um, as the, the first day. And the same exact thing happened. 
window slammed shut, done, nothing for another 45 minutes, hour. And I was like, I got to go try to go back to those brush piles because I did actually, I broke a good one off on a, a drop shot in the morning on a brush pile and I lost another good one. They just, I never got a hook in. Um, so I went and ran that stuff, caught more short ones the last half hour of the day. And then boom, I go in with uh, 12 pounds again. Uh, you ended up finishing in 45th. Something like that. Which yeah, in Mr. any checked by nine ounces. Which in any normal Bassmaster Open with 190 would be a fantastic finish and great for points. It was. It kept you in it. But the top 10 guys are absolutely out of their gourd. It's requiring a 37th place average right now to make the top 10. Uh, I want to get into the numbers, but one thing that I found interesting on Lake of the Ozarks on day two, second half of the day, I had four. I'm in the back of a creek kind of reminded me of the same type of creek I was in at Watts Bar. I scanned out into the middle of the creek, bait ball, exactly the same as on a TV of the Tennessee River fishery, marks underneath it. I dig around. I hadn't had a spinning rod out all week. I pull it out and I catch 20 or 30 shorts under the exact same bait balls in the exact same section of the lake in the exact same creek set up identical 10 hours apart on fisheries. And that was really surprising to me that those fish would act identical on Watts bar that they did on Lake of the Ozarks in the back, took the bait the same, caught them the same. They were the same size, everything. I ended up catching one 16 incher out of it that, that filled out my limit. Yeah, a lot of similarities between those two lakes, really, with how different that they they looked once you got on them. Yeah. Uh, all right, 1,232 points. You're in 17th place. It is going to go to 10, basically 10 points, probably, because Kenta Kimura, 1,355, is in fifth. They take the top nine. There's one event left in two weeks on the Harris Chain in Florida. Jamie Bruce is in 10th with 1,263. This is still very doable, Ben. It is doable. I mean, look at what Tyler Williams has done um, and did just winning one event, um, put him right back in it. It's crazy when you watch, you know, they, they have on, on Bass Track now, you can, they have the updated to date um, AOI rankings. And to see what just a couple, uh, one good day can do is crazy. But um, yeah, obviously, I'm going to have to have a top five probably, um, unless a top 10 to 15 and mm -hmm. a lot of things happen right with people around me um but definitely going to go out and try to win it um it's big florida strain fish that i know eats the type of stuff that i like to throw and probably act the same way that a lot of these fish around here like to act um and it's probably similar to the way a lot of fish in toledo bend like to act um so i'm excited for it what is your experience on the harris chain and have you ever been there in october I never made a cast in Florida in my life, so I'm. You've never fished nothing. Florida in your life? Nope. No, really? I think I fished the Bahamas a few times. That's Do you think that's thing. good or bad? I mean, dude, you're going down there with zero preconceived notions, then. Yeah, I'm gonna fish like I'm fishing offshore stuff with a big bait. That's all I'm gonna do. That'll be fun to watch. Yeah, I'll probably weigh in four pounds a day, but what do you do? Or uh, are you a believer that you? manifest your own destiny on this or like if it's meant to be it's meant to be and you don't stress out with it no it's i don't believe that at all i think he <laughs> i've i've tried to <laughs> manifest my destiny every tournament this year and these guys are freaking hammers and the fish don't do what they're supposed to most of the time so uh yeah go out and try to freaking win it that's all you can do
I can see them on the, the live scope and uh, we'll see if they'll bite. All right. I want to get your take on this because before it's over, because if you make it, you're going to say, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. If you don't make it, you're going to have a different attitude on it. So I want to get your take on this after eight while it's still, I feel fairly neutral because you still have everything to gain here. Uh, when you got into this thing, you started out with a fifth and a first, but before you made a cast, you had to have mentally anticipated what fishing the opens, the nine EQs would be like where 90% of the way through the season, 86% of the way through the season now, is it anything like you'd envisioned is it easier? Is it tougher? What's the same? What's different? It's um, trying to think. Uh, it's probably how I envisioned it. I think five days of practice is a lot. And adding at least a day of travel each direction, that makes for such a long – that's a nine-day trip each tournament. Um, that's a lot. And so that grind has been – extremely difficult i think as it has been on everybody um unless you're the type of guy that's going to go and practice for two or three days and spend seven hours in the water those days which i don't think there's hardly anybody doing that um so yeah that, that part i guess has probably been a little more difficult than possible um the competition i'd say is more top heavy than i thought it would be um i think that that's a fair way to think of it i didn't I, I can't believe how good um, John Garrett, JT Tompkins, Trey McKinney, especially. I can't believe how good the fishermen those three are. Um, I, I know Kent Kamur is a phenomenal fisherman. Uh, I know I didn't know Tyler Williams at all, but he's done incredible things at the end of the season. But I, I didn't realize. Like, I think those three guys will be at the top of the leaderboard in most of the Elite Series tournaments next year. Listen to this. This is uh, JT Tompkins finishes this year. And going into it, remind mind you, you thought I thought a top thirty average would win the Angler of the Year, and I thought a top fifty five to sixty average would make the top ten with one hundred seventy five guys that started. Remember, this is a two hundred thirty boat, one hundred and ninety to two hundred thirty boats. This isn't a hundred boat deal. This would be a phenomenal if it was a hundred boat. This is two hundred boat average, people. Forty eighth, twenty fourth, thirty second, eighth, eleventh, fourteenth, seventh, second, and seventh. That's not. I'm yeah. I've been witnessing it. <laughs> it's insane, and it's, it's like, the same guys over. It's like over. KVD level dominance in these tournaments. And he and was born in 2002. Understand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he's got decades of experience on this thing. No. How much of that do you think is skill? How much of that do you think is momentum? And how much of that do you think is preparation? Um, Because I yes. have my opinions on it. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I think yeah. he does as an insane amount goes, of prep. Yeah, JT's an insane amount of time on the water prep. Um, I don't know what he gets or anybody else gets for information. Obviously, it's illegal until practice starts. So, I mean, everyone – He does his homework, Ben. No, I'm just saying it's the same for everyone. Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I've heard chatter. Oh, Trey McKinney, he's got so much money. Of course he's going to do well. JT's going to catch Chad buys all these waypoints. It's like, okay, <laughs> you're going to buy waypoints. That's going to make you win tournaments. 
Uh, that's not how it works. You, you get a, are they buying waypoints and getting all this money to go do what they want every single tournament? Is that what makes you be successful every single tournament? No. So, yeah, freaks, man. And it's yeah. not just forward-facing sonar. It's, that's, I mean, everyone has it. Yeah. Every, most, not most, a lot of, like, 50 to 75 of these guys are extremely good with it. So... I would have to say, you know, I think I think Tyler Williams is like in his early 20s. JT's 21. Trey McKinney's 18. John Garrett, uh, no surprise there. I mean, that guy was like from his college days, was born to be a professional fisherman. He's grinded it out. Same with Logan Parks. Uh, we've seen what he's done uh, with national championships and winning the uh, U.S. Open. Uh, I don't know a lot about uh, Robert G., uh, Kyle Patrick puts his time in. He's kind of with, there's like a whole group of guys that are in the top 10 that kind of run together. They kind of practice together. I think they are just riding that avalanche of momentum all the way through the second half of this season. And then very interesting is Jamie Bruce, who I thought when he got to the back end, you're talking about a dude, uh, who's a Canadian angler. I mean, there's, I, I made a joke to my buddy. I said, there's like seven docks in Canada and he goes and almost wins Lake of the Ozarks. Like, uh, it, it's very impressive what uh, what Jamie Bruce has been doing in the opens this year. Also has a really good uh, podcast and show uh, as well. And he's uh, he's in tenth. He's a he's a tenth place angler right now. But you're right uh, there in seventeenth. He said he'd never caught a bass. He'd never caught a largemouth in the United States before this year. Jamie said that I think. So I mean, I didn't even know that. Think about that. <laughs> it's insane. He's having an incredible year. It oh, is uh, a couple oh. other anglers to keep uh, Joey Nania, who's missed out on like one point before he's in the same position. He's in 14th, uh, Sam George. He's missed it by like one point before he's in 12th. He's another young angler Then you've got Bobby Lane going to Florida and 15th. Uh, you've got a really, really good race and you're right in the thick of it. Uh, I, I would say, uh, I mean, in all honesty, Man, I would say you're the last. You're one of the last three guys with a legitimate shot to make it. I'd say it's between like because you have twelve thirty two, and Brett Cannon's right below you with twelve twenty one. That's eleven points. It's probably not going to be a full field in Florida, so that eleven points is really like twenty two points with a full field. Uh, now I'd go down to Adam Rasmussen in in nineteenth at two twenty one probably the last like real legitimate shot unless crazy stuff happens, but yeah, but the separation um, with points isn't too great. Really the sixth no. and seventh place guys. I mean, that, those are guys that are catchable um, for me. I feel like so, and, and it's cool. I mean, the way this we've been talking about how the schedule is set up all season long, it's cool that um, we got this major wild card. That's always at the start of the elite series schedule or the start of the open schedule, which mm -hmm. is Florida is at the very end. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how it shakes out. Uh, Gregory, there is that question there. We're obviously going to do a wrap up after the entire year. I don't even want to approach that question with Ben about whether you're going to do it again next year until the year's over and you have time to digest it because you're either going to be on the elite series uh, or you're going to be getting ready for the Bassmaster Classic. So I think we save that question till the, uh, till the last kind of wrap up show. That sound fair? I think that's fair. Yeah. I don't know the answer to it yet either. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. Uh, I had one more question technique wise 
on those uh, roaming fish, the bait ball fish that there's a lot of going on across the country right now, you're you're more of a minnow bait guy than a D shot guy on them. Yeah, definitely. Really? Expl- can you are you uh, willing and able to kind of dive into that? Because I cannot catch them on that Demiki style bait, and I just shoot a drop shot right through it, and I'm like, dude, I don't understand how these guys are Ned Mekiing this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a two-prong approach for me. One of them, uh, one style of bait I throw is like a minnow-style bait. It's what I was okay. throwing mostly at Watts on like a 16th or an 8th-ounce jig head. It's super, super light, so I can really hop that bait in the slack, and that bait's going to stay there, and it's going to work above the bait ball. It's going to work on fish that you can get. Basically, you got to be able to get it in front of them. If they're blasting around really quick, you got to really lead them, or you're not going to get it in front of them with that light of a jig head but it's extremely effective because it's so light. It's so lively in the water that you can catch them that way. Um, but on the fish that are underneath the bait balls, deeper water, moving faster, I go with a big one, uh, like a three quarter ounce jig head oh, wow. so like, right through them. And they're just going to either not see it or they're going to go Dung, and just crush it underneath them. But that style is not very effective once it passes through or goes by them the first time. You're not going to hop that bait and catch very many fish because it doesn't look natural falling that fast. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I need to try that heavier because I like to try, I mean, and I like to even pull fish from the upper part of the water column and get them to follow it. And I feel with that drop shot, they'll follow it down and then you can actually hop it and get a lot of those fish to commit. But, but it's not, it is not very effective on the bait balls because you basically just, you can't really keep it in front of their face. They either follow it down or they don't. There is no coaxing or anything like that when it comes to the, to the drop shot. Uh, right. But I know just based on watching Wheeler and some of the uh, Demiki guys, there is a definite art to the, what do you want to call that? Is it a shake, a wiggle? Uh, I don't know how you do that rod tip deal, but I haven't figured that out yet. I mean, that's a mystery to me and I've spent a lot of time trying to do it, but there's definitely a skill in how you shake that rod to get them to commit to it. Is there not? Oh yeah. There's some specific baits and, and ways that you throw the bait to that make it uh, do special things in the water. Um, it's a Japanese technique. Um, uh, hover strolling, mid strolling. Yeah. I think hover strolling is more of like a vertical presentation, but like mid strolling, um, that's pretty much what it is. It's so frustrating because I know that that is the most effective way to catch them. And I guess this is where it comes down to me putting my boat on the water when there's not money on the line, finding those fish and spending as long as it takes to work through what works, what doesn't work instead of trying to do it in a Bassmaster Open tournament or a limited amount of practice. I mean, that's kind of on me that I haven't figured that out. Yeah, it's, it's practice big time. It's a little bit different at every fishery what makes them go. Is that just based on how the bait is acting, how it's positioned, what type, or what What do you think makes just it the, different? The, the bait and presentation of, of what they're going to commit to is always a little bit different. I don't know if it's the type of bait they're chasing. I don't think it is because I'm you're chasing thread fin eaters most of the time. Um, those thread mm-hmm. fin are all about the same, you know, one and a half to three inch size. So there's not a lot of variance there, but yep. Just every fishery is a little bit different of the nuance of how they want it rigged and presented to them. All right. We've actually increased the bid. You're up to 2550, 2550 bucks for a day, uh, for a day to fish with Ben Milliken. Once again, that goes through the 28th, 10 PM 
Eastern Time Bass Fishing HOF.com. Click on the auction bid, Ben. Thanks for uh, A, jumping on BTL and going through this after a long, grueling road trip, and B, donating that trip to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Anything else you want to get in here before I let you go? I don't think so, man. Um, you, I, I won't talk to you about uh, your plans for the next one. I'll let you say that, I guess. But um, yeah, hopefully we can get it done in Florida. It's going to be an interesting uh, chase to the end here. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I appreciate it. And thank you very much, dude. All right. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk soon. All right. See ya. All right. That was uh, Ben Milliken. We're going to take our final break. When we come back, uh, wrap up what's going on the rest of the week, what's going on next week. we got some cool on location stuff from a different state up north. It's BTL on a Tuesday. We'll be back right after this. Everything you need. One legendary brand. Top one on Strike King. Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years' experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xzonelures.com and check them out for yourself. The great thing about the new Sensation Soft Plastics from Big Bite Baits, heavily scented, super soft, buoyant, comes in seven great new shapes. I've got a couple of them of my signature series, the Cliffhanger Worm and the Ramtail Craw. Great for a flipping jig, football jig, swim jig, all that. Several other great shapes. Really excited about it. We've worked over the last year. Catches fish all over the country, and I think it's going to catch fish for people everywhere you try it. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro is coming out with a handful of new colors including Pearl Shad which has this bleached out white look but it's got this pearlescent really really pretty. We've got Copper Shad which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back really really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you wanna give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? 
The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. Get the best patterns backed by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the Deep Dive app today. Look at that beast right there. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting beatdownoutdoors.com. All right, welcome back to BTL. Big shout out to Ben Milliken. He's done great all uh, all year. Jumping on and being pretty candid about how things uh, how things have gone down in the opens. Uh, tomorrow we're going to do day four on a day three with Frank Scalish. That is because I am headed to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame uh, banquet and induction ceremony. Three. Individuals going in, Glenn Andrews, Bruce Holt, and Mike Iconelli, who uh, supposedly is bringing about 60 people with him uh, for his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So uh, no show on Thursday, so we'll do day four on day three. And then next week, uh, a show on Monday, we have Gretchen from St. Jude uh, Children's Hospital, who's going to come on and talk about the 25th annual Dick Hiley St. Jude Bass Classic. I got involved with this thanks to Adam Bartuzek from the Crappie Chronicles uh, up in Minnesota uh, last year. And it is, I mean, any charity type uh, tournament is a worthy cause, but it is uh, by far the best, or how do I say this grammatically correct? The most better well run, the best ran, the best run, the best run tournament that i've ever been a part of roughly 100 boats up there uh for the dick holly saint jude and they raised over a million dollars just this year just this year over a million dollars uh for one tournament uh btl uh listeners supporters and crappie chronicles kind of combined for uh roughly ten thousand dollars through uh t-shirts and donations and we did a deal up in minnesota uh earlier this year with crappie chronicles and btl listeners so big shout out to you guys you have a part in that so i am headed uh up to saint jude but that is also roughly the location of where omni is so i got a call from trevor uh who's been on the show many times this year from omnia so I'm going to go spend Tuesday at Omnia, tour that facility, that warehouse, where it is. And we're going to do a BTL Live, 8.30 a.m., same time, uh, except we'll be on location from Omnia, which is going to be exciting. I don't know what else they have planned uh, for that day. And then the St. Judas that week, we'll be doing live shows every evening uh, from Wabasha, Minnesota. And then that wraps it up. A uh, couple things that I wanted to uh, close with. Obviously, don't forget the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame auction. Uh, the Frank Scalish, the Millican trip, 
uh, the BTL experience trip. If you guys have any questions on that, DM me at Matt Pangrak on Instagram uh, or Matt at Bassone.com on email. Uh, what else was there? There was one other thing. Oh, if you go back on the YouTube archives, uh, you also have a chance to win a Denali Novus reel. Uh, Johnny Schultz from Fish the Moment was on. He is uh, working on uh, optimizing his deep dive app. He, he needed to have hardcore anglers provide some feedback. So one of the things that he did is he has a questionnaire on there. You can put your email in there on the questionnaire. Just click on that link in the show description from Johnny Schultz, the Fish the Moment show uh, that aired a couple weeks ago. Fill that out. And then uh, the first of, by the, the 30th of September, and then uh, on the 1st of October, we'll draw to get the new Denali Novus reel. Then I think we also have some new apparel and stuff coming down the line. But uh, great show today. Uh, always like hearing from different anglers uh, on how they get the job done uh, on the same fishers. It's amazing. There's 200 guys in these events and these Bassmaster Opens, and we all start somewhere different. We all start where we think the juice is. It's just crazy. You know, you think, oh, I found exactly the only way you can catch them. Heck, you can catch them a million different ways doing a million different things. So this has been another edition of BTL Bass Talk Live tomorrow, 8.30 a.m. The man, Frank Scalish. We'll see everybody then. Later.